everyone, and welcome to Joe's Tango Podcast, where we hear from all types of fascinating tango professionals. I'm your host, Joe Yang. Thanks for tuning in, and thanks to all you newcomers and first-timers out there. I'm really happy to have you with us. I'm really liking the feedback I've been getting from many of you, so if you ever want to reach out for any reason, don't hesitate to send me a message at wisconsintango at gmail.com. Once again, that's wisconsintango, all one word, at gmail.com. And to help keep the podcast going, I'm also accepting donations through PayPal. There's a link in the description and also one on the podcast website. Thanks for your support. Okay, let's get into the show. My guest today is a bandoneon player, pianist, and hardcore tango scholar. She's really enthusiastic about promoting contemporary tango music, and there is a whole world of it out there in Buenos Aires that she really encourages us to explore. At the time of this recording, my guest is very close to finishing her master's degree in ethnomusicology at the University of Maryland. In the D.C. area, she's been part of the tango group Da Capo Tango, where she is one of two bandoneon players. If you remember, I had two of their members, Max Wallum Fisher and Brett Lemley, on this podcast a few months ago. Today's guest has traveled extensively and studied and played with some of the top bandoneon players in the world. And with me now is Haney Solera. Haney, great to have you on the show. Thanks for being here. Oh, thank you for having me. Yeah. Okay. So, Haney, what was your very first impression of tango music? Oh, well, it depends. My first impression of tango music was um, I was play, I'm a classically trained pianist, and when mm-hmm. I was getting my music degree, I um, was part of a chamber group and played some piazzola, and I thought it was really beautiful and lovely, and I really liked it. Mm-hmm. So when I discovered there was a Tango Community Orchestra in D.C. six years ago, I was like, that's cool, I like Piazzolla. So I go, and it was the first time I heard any of the like 1930s, 40s music from the Golden Era. Mm-hmm. I, was very, I was very confused. I was like, wow, this is very different. So the people were really nice, and I just kept going, and over time I just really thought it was, it's very beautiful music. So tell us the story of how you became a bandoneon player, because that's not something a lot of musicians become. No, so I mean, it has to do with the community orchestra. Mm-hmm. So I started as a pianist for them. Mm-hmm. But we had, we had another pianist and we shared duties. And when I wasn't playing, I would watch the Bangladesh players and I was just really intrigued. And so I realized that because it's very difficult to learn. Yeah. At that time, our Bangladesh players really only knew the right hand of the instrument. Okay. And so a lot of the times in a tango, orquesta típica, the melody is on the right hand usually, and you have chords on the left. Mm-hmm. I was like, man, we're missing all these harmonies. I'll play the left hand. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what began everything. <laughs> yeah, that's what, yeah, that's what that's what got me into Bandung. Uh-huh. And, and so I got my instrument through, actually, eBay. Oh, really? Nice. Um, and that's how, that's how I began. Mm-hmm. And you're, you're still playing on that Bandung that you got from eBay? No, no, no. So it's a very good Bandung and yeah. it works really well. Mm-hmm. But I think it was a custom-made job for someone's significantly bigger hand. Oh, okay. Um, I'm, only, I'm only four foot ten. Okay. I don't have it in big hands. <laughs> and then my teacher back in Buenos Aires, he, he wanted me to get more appropriate size bandoneon and with a better sound. And so he found me my bandoneon in, in Buenos Aires, too. So. Mm-hmm. so, yeah, playing the bandoneon for a tango orchestra versus the the piano. Wow. What's that like? The, the differences or things you got to take oh, into consideration? There's like a hundred billion differences. So, both instruments are 
the essentially the rhythm section of the tango orchestra. Which is, there's no percussive instrument. Mm-hmm. So there's the piano, bass, and bandoneon to take that role predominantly. Every movement, the violin, the strings have to do that as well. Mm-hmm. So both have to do that. Both have to comp. It's just the technique is very different. Mm-hmm. For example, if I want to play loud on the, on the piano, mm-hmm. I just hit the key harder. But if I want to play loud on the mignon, no matter how hard I hit those buttons, it's not going to create a uh, mm-hmm. bigger sound. I have to put more pressure in, on the bellows. I and see. that's what creates that. So that's very different. Mm-hmm. The technique is like if you want to do certain things like really fast passages on piano, you use your wrist to help you do that. You can't use it's 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 very difficult to use wrist in bandoneon. It's a lot of more finger mm. technique. I see. Yeah, so playing for a tango in, or in a tango group as opposed to uh, in a orchestra or a chamber group, what was that like? Was it was it a big adjustment for you? Well, what's the biggest adjustment is playing with other bandoneon players. Mm-hmm. For the pianist, you always you always in a group you always listen to each other. Okay. But the role of pianist in a chamber group is you're kind of the leader and you accompany other people, and you don't have to match. You don't have to equally match other people because you're the only pianist. Mm-hmm. Versus like string players, violinists are always used to having to listen to each other and match each other. Mm. And many bandoneon players in the United States don't have that opportunity because it's rare to have a concentration of bandoneon players in the United States. Mm-hmm. Like this pocket, like New York City, mm-hmm. there's at least 12 of them. Mm-hmm. In California, spread throughout, there's probably like 15. Mm-hmm. In D.C., there's like, I think like five or six of us. Okay. And like, there's like seven community orchestras. Mm-hmm. But the, out of the seven community orchestras, only two have more than two women players. Okay. Wow. So, so what the opportunity that that gave me was to be part of, it's called the the fila, the bandoneon fila, mm-hmm. where you have to really focus in on the person to the left and right of you, mm. because the air goes escapes to the left and the right hand. So you don't really, you're not really listening to yourself. You're listening to your neighbor because you really can't hear yourself. Oh, okay. <laughs> so that kind of was like an opportunity that's just almost unheard of in the United States. Only mm. very few places does that really occur. Yeah, yeah, because last time when I was talking to, to Brett and Max, they were just so grateful to have two bandoneons in their in their orchestra, and that's that's pretty awesome. So what was it like uh, playing for dancers? Oh, it's super fun. Number one, I have performance anxiety. Oh, yeah? So, oh, yeah, I hate doing solo work. Mm-hmm. I do it because it's good for you, but it's, it's like, so stressful for me. Mm-hmm. But the nice thing about playing for dancers is that the tension isn't really... They listen to you, but they're not looking at you. Mm-hmm. They're dancing. So it's nice to be able to play for people who are listening to you, but they're not, like, staring at you. Mm-hmm. So for me, it, it was very helpful as a performer because it kind of really helped me deal with my performance anxiety. Because mm-hmm. I can just have a good time. And people seem to really like it and enjoy it. And and, and, and again, it's like, I, I think, like, in the United States, we're, we don't have a culture of, of, of music. We, we consume everything. We buy everything. Yeah. So this idea of, like, listening to live music is it's something that, you know, I really wish we could see reinserted into this culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's not just listening. They're, they're participating. There's this sort of activity, and there's a little more of immersion. It's not as passive. Yes yeah. and no. The thing okay. is, it's like, yes, it is very passive, and it's participatory, and that's like the beauty of playing for dancers. But one of the interesting things I discovered was when I started playing Mamanyon, like tango dancers, would come up to me and they would say like wow it's so great that you're learning a tradition that no longer exists 
Mm-hmm. And it became really apparent to me that with the rupture of live music and tango dancing where DJs took over, there's this complete unawareness of what's going on in the live music scene of Buenos Aires. Mm-hmm. And there are so many amazing Mm-hmm. composers and musicians writing new music, new tangos that is so good, but it's not meant for dancing, nor should it be. And so this idea that tango music is only for dancing, it's like tango, it, you can look at it more as like a culture. It, mm-hmm. it, it incorporates many things. And dancing is just one of those things. Mm-hmm. Dancing is like a visual art form. I mean, tango is a visual art form. It's, mm-hmm. it's poetry. It's dancing and the music and the music alone. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that I'm really trying to do, you know, some studying ethnic musicology, what I'm really trying to do with my research is promote really good live dance music for dancers. But mm-hmm. also the idea that it's also okay to sit down and listen to music. Mm-hmm. And to bring awareness to all these amazing composers down in Buenos Aires who are like essentially unknown of in this country. And it's mm-hmm. a real tragedy because it's like they're really are the ones who are keeping this tradition new and forward. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought up the uh, the tango music, you know, for listening versus for dancing. So as a musician, do you have a preference? I mean, I'm a dancer too. Yeah. So at, at this current moment, I have a preference for, for listening. Just not mm-hmm. because I think one is better than the other. Yeah. It's not. Sure. But because there's such a reluctance in this country Mm-hmm. for music for listening that yeah. I have a tendency to push that more mm-hmm. and here's one of the arguments that you can say for, for dancers something that again I got asked a lot mm-hmm. when I started dancing and people found out I was a musician mm-hmm. they're like oh like you must really hear everything in the music I'm like yeah <laughs> of course mm-hmm. and so then like there would be all these like musicality classes and all these classes for dancers of how to hear the music and how to dance to the music and blah blah blah, blah. Mm-hmm. but the amount of energy required to learn the technique of dancing and do it well and get to a certain point, like that takes so much focus. It, 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 takes, it takes a long time before you get to that point where you can shift that point to the music. You're mm-hmm. just asking the brain to do many, many things. So one way that you become a better dancer is mm-hmm. to not move. Mm-hmm. Sit down and just listen. Yeah. And listen not just to the stuff that you're going to hear, because you're going to hear the stuff in the Malangas over and over and over and over again. <laughs> it's, to hear, it's to hear new music and more, and more um, contemporary music, mm-hmm. because it'll train the ear to listen to many layers, to different rhythms, to changes in tempos, to mm-hmm. all of these things. And that's something that's very difficult to do on the dance floor. But mm-hmm. if you get used to the habit of doing it at home, sitting down, you will see your dancing improve, mm-hmm. like you will. Yeah. And also you get to learn about your view of tango isn't so narrow. It mm-hmm. opens your world. Yeah. So when you go to Buenos Aires, instead of only going to the Malongas, you, prior to the Malongas, you can go to like the local restaurants and bars where all these people are, mm-hmm. and you can go check them out, and then go dancing. Yeah, and then you're really promoting a culture. Mm-hmm. So it sounded like you had a, some really, really interesting adventures in Buenos Aires. So what were some memorable learning experiences there that helped shape your journey as a bandoneon player? Oh, man. All right. That's so many. <laughs> I have very key moments. So, as you know, I took up on Onion out of curiosity, really. Mm-hmm. And um, what I did is what most people in the United States do because there really aren't any teachers. There's only like, three teachers currently who offer Skype lessons in the United States. Mm-hmm. And that's, it, it's a solution, but it's not ideal. Yeah. There's many things you lose in Skype. Mm-hmm. And all of their, they're all books. They're so busy. Right. 
So what most people do is that they print out the keyboard system because that's the first hump. The first hump is that you just have to know where the buttons are. And so you print out the keyboard system. You're like, all right, where is this B? I look mm-hmm. for the B on the, on the printed sheet, and then I look on it for the, on the bottom of the arm. Mm-hmm. It is so inefficient. If you do that, you never really learn the whole instrument. And it takes forever. So I was very frustrated. I was just like, there has to be a better way to do this. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so I got my bandoneon, my first one, in February 2015. Okay. February 2015. Mm-hmm. I'm just plugging along, and I'm like, man, what am I doing with this thing? I'm already a pianist. I already have a career. Why am I missing this thing? <laughs> so I went, there's three tango music festivals in the United States, and these will be part of my master's thesis if people want to read it later down in life mm-hmm. that I'm currently writing. Mm-hmm. There's three U.S.-based tango festivals where people can learn how to play tango. Mm-hmm. The one, that, the oldest one, took place in Portland, Oregon, called Tango for Musicians. Yeah. And so I went there in June of 2015 as a pianist. Mm-hmm. And I have a tendency to research everyone. So I researched, like, the faculty and, like, there is this composer. And mm-hmm. everyone who's listening needs to look up this composer. Diego, Diego Schisi. S-C-H-I-S-S-I. What, spell that again? S. C-H-I-S-S-I. Okay. Diego C.C. Mm-hmm. And so, I'm not exaggerating. I put in his album, Tipos y Tipas. T-I-P-O-S, E, and then the letter Y, and mm-hmm. Tipas, T-I-P-A-S. Mm-hmm. Tipos y Tipas. And the first track, Astorio de Vive, was in the first 30 seconds. I was like, what is this? Who is this person? I have to meet him. So I go. I meet him. Mm-hmm. They're all very, all of the, these are all Argentine musicians do Tango for Musicians mm-hmm. um, by Paulina Fine. It's an amazing program. Mm-hmm. And I go and I meet him, I meet the other pianists at Nimposetti, and they're very lovely people, and we become friends. Skisi, mm. along with two tango dancers who are friends of mine, mm-hmm. convinced me to go to Buenos Aires in 2015. Mm-hmm. I'm like, cool, I'll go. The only bandoneon player at the time that I knew was Ava Wolf, who's an amazing bandoneon player uh, at Tango for Musicians. So mm-hmm. I write to her and I say, hey, can I have some lessons? I feel like, look, it's just, I'm just too much going on in my life. Hmm. I recommend to you Santiago Segre. I knew who Santiago was because he was on Skisi's album. It's his bandoneon player. Mm. And the guy is crazy good. And mm-hmm. he's very young. So I was nervous to study with a young guy because most virtuosos don't want to train beginners. Mm. Name a new, you know, Ava, I don't know. She said, no, go <laughs> study with him. Mm-hmm. So I was only going to be there for 10 days And I only had 10 lessons with him And I, th- I didn't tell him But at the time I was like Alright, if I see any improvement with this guy mm-hmm. I'll keep it If I don't, I'm selling it So I go Again, mm-hmm. very lovely, very patient person mm-hmm. My last day there was my last lesson with him This was a very pivotal moment mm-hmm. This changed everything And so I was like, Santi I was like, do you do Skype lessons? And he's like, no mm. And I'm like what do you mean? And so, no, I didn't say anything. I was just so sad because I'm like, I'm never going to learn this thing. I don't know if he felt sad for me. I don't know if he thought I would just go away. But he's like, look, Amy, here's what we do. And I'm mm-hmm. like, okay. He's like, I made a little method book for my students at the conservatory I teach. It's a bunch of different exercises. He's like, the first thing you need to do is learn the keyboard system. All of them. Mm-hmm. Left and right hand going in and out because the buttons change notes depending on the direction. Mm-hmm. He's like, this will be the most tedious, painful process that you ever do. But if you do it, you will know the keyboard system. He gave me eight assignments. He's like, write this down. I'm like, mm-hmm. okay. It was different exercises that I had to do, playing completely all the way out, 
repeat the exercises, playing them all the way in, mm-hmm. according to the bellows, and repeat it again, but changing direction of the bellows every other measure. Wow. He's like, every three or four weeks, you need to send me videos of these exercises. <laughs> you, cannot, you cannot send them until there's no error. I think he thought I would go away. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was total fan. Like, he didn't realize what a huge fan I was of him. Mm-hmm. So I was like, are you serious? This guy's going to let me send him videos. There's no, the idea of not following through was like, no. Mm-hmm. And so the process began, and he wasn't kidding. It was the most painful, boring, tedious process that wow. you could ever imagine. But as soon as I started working, I started realizing like, when I went to the orchestra and rehearsed, like, I could slowly start sight reading things. Anyways, it changed my life. Mm-hmm. For I, I mean, I could go on and on and on, but this, this radio show is probably an hour. But the summation is this, and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm very excited about that. Um, in the 1990s, tango was hardly played at all. Mm-hmm. No one was playing it. The only there was only a handful of people of, uh, in the sixties and seventies at the time who played in the old orchestras that were still around, but were just finding gigs here and there. Mm-hmm. Around the nineteen nineties, there was a bunch of handful of musicians: Ignacio Varchowski, Ramiro mm-hmm. Boero, Ramiro Gallo, all very important people that people in the United States really need to know about. Who said, "Hey, we need to re- recapture this scene, and we need to if we don't." convince these old masters to teach us we're going to lose this tradition hmm. so Ignacio Varchowski started there was there, there was different schools like Amp and all these things but he started a, a tango orchestra school mm-hmm. called the Orquesta Escuela de Emilio Valcarce mm-hmm. it's been running now for 20 years okay. and it essentially started the Orquesta Tipica again mm-hmm. and where they asked the old masters who played with Pugliesi and Darienzo and all these people convinced them to teach the younger generation. And essentially a renaissance in Buenos Aires discipline, where now you're seeing all these new orchestras, all these people, and it was through all these efforts, these young people who mm-hmm. did this. Anyway, for me, it was a distant dream of getting into the Orquesta Escuela. I was like, there's mm-hmm. no way I'll ever get to that point. My teacher, Santiago Chagret, went to the Orquesta Escuela, DC went to the Orquesta Escuela. So anyway, this past summer, I go, this was another very another very important moment for me. Mm-hmm. So I'm practicing like crazy, man. Like yeah. nuts. I went nuts. And um, I go to read again, the Tango for Musicians, and there's mm-hmm. like a final concert, and one of the, the teachers there, who they see me every year. Mm-hmm. And Ezekiel came up to me, and he was like, Ezekiel Mantega, one of the pianists, he's like, Amy, have you thought about auditioning for the Orquesta Stella? And I'm like, yeah, actually. <laughs> mm-hmm. and he's, like, he's like, well, you should. So I've been preparing like crazy because yeah. like there's an age limit. It's up to 35, and I'm 35. Okay. And it's only every the auditions are only every two years. Wow. So at the end of March is the audition. Nice. And it's fortunate we're having this talk because I literally just came from San Francisco. I just landed. Okay. And the teacher for the bandoneon players of the Orquesta Escuela is Ramiro Boero. Another mm-hmm. name that everyone should know. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> It turned out by chance he was vacationing with his family, went to San Francisco, played, was playing at a couple concerts, and I was like, man, I gotta go meet this person. So I mm-hmm. go meet him, have a mm-hmm. lesson with him. Amazing human being. Mm-hmm. So yeah, like, to be able to say that after three years was just like really, really working hard, like to be, even if I don't, don't get me wrong, I wanna get in, it would yeah. be a dream come true. Mm-hmm. But even if I don't get in, the fact that I got to the point where I could even be able to audition, it's like, that's, that's it's very, it's a very, special moment in my life. Mm-hmm.
you know, that's awesome that you, you got that audition coming up. And yeah, we're all rooting for you to get in. And I think, you know, you started, you know, on a bandoneon that you got from eBay. It's like, so from that point to now, because kind of looking back and reflecting, what, what goes through your mind? Oh, man, I get very emotional. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so, this was, no, no, because like, Look, I've done a lot of things in my life uh, that have mm. been very difficult. Uh, but I have a tendency to think, and you know, if anyone thinks anything out of conversation with that, mm-hmm. I really do think that's like you're never too old to really start anything. Mm-hmm. And you've got to apply. So, like everything I've ever done in my life is very difficult and challenging. But I always thought, man, like if I just work really hard, I'll get it. Mm-hmm. But I'm not the first time in my life that I thought something was impossible. Mm-hmm. That I was like, I'm never gonna learn this thing. This is like, <laughs> what am I doing? I'm kidding myself. Mm-hmm. And that's when you realize, like, the role of mentorship of how important it is to have someone to see there for you mm-hmm. and just believe you, believe yeah. in you. I've had very important people in my life, um, maybe meeting people like Brett Lindley, mm-hmm. who who to have an orchestra at the beginning in DC, who was very supportive and who helped me. Who even he he was the one that told me to go to Tango Musician. But it was, it was having like that one person, Santi, Santi was at my teacher, just like some mm-hmm. teenager scale. Yeah. Just say, that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And like, like for three years, can you imagine? Like for three years, this mm-hmm. person, who I don't know very well to be honest, we don't talk very much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, just that caliber of musician to really just support you and to really be there for you and say that you can do it. Like that was yeah. and everything. And I feel like everything, I remember like, I remember the moment I realized that I had to get good at this thing. The first, the first year was just learning the keyboard system. It was super painful, super boring. And I just, I just kept, I just stuck with it. Cause I, the idea of not following through was just like, no, I gotta do this. And then over time it became more and more like, wow. So anyway, Sango for Musicians still started in Buenos Aires. Mm-hmm. And so I was gonna, so I first met Santi in December, 2015. And I mm-hmm. wanted to go again a year later and take some more lessons. Mm-hmm. And so I went in February of 2017. Okay. A year later. And it corresponded by chance with Sango for Musicians in mm-hmm. Buenos Aires that Paulina Fine and Zico Mancera organized mm-hmm. with the whole city. It's like this huge thing. Like it is, it's amazing where like hundreds of people show up, there's workshops, and then like there's these huge concerts and the equivalent of like the Kennedy Center, like yeah. huge like venues. Anyway. So you have to send a video ahead of time so they know where to place you, so they know mm-hmm. your level, because anyone can participate. Okay. And you can, there, there's so many ensembles that you can choose from that you can tell them what you want to focus on. And so, like, because I love contemporary music, I wanted to be in the contemporary orchestra, and there was two. There was Diego Schisi, which obviously that was my first pick, and this other amazing composer, Agustin Guerrero, mm-hmm. who's also amazing. So I, I wanted to be in one of the contemporary orchestras, Tipica. Mm-hmm. And so they put me in Agustin Guerrero um, as the third chair. I'm like, cool. Okay. And then I and then I see the the program, the orchestra típica was supposed to open for the Diego Schisi Quintet on mm. the Saturday like final night concert in like their amazing concert hall, like mm. world class concert hall. And I'm like, whose idea was this? <laughs> 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 I was so stressed out. I was like, oh my god. And then he hit me really hard. And I've only been playing, I'd only been working with Sunday for years. Like, mm-hmm. I was super, I mean, I'm still, like, I still see myself as a beginner. So imagine, like, two years ago. Wow. So, I guess, crazy ready. I just show up, and I'm like, I'm so stressed out, I'm so stressed out. <laughs> so we go. Turns out, like, the first, the first Bandanone player 
uh, she had only inscribed a week before. So she only had like, they gave her the music the week before. Oh my God. So she's super stressed out because it's super hard and she's the first chair and she has to play all the solos. So there's like four Bambino players. And so she's like, guys, I need your help. I need you to like, there's no way I'm going to be able to learn this by like in one week. Mm-hmm. And um, not even one week. We start rehearsal on Monday. They, there's one day off. Right. And then you play on Saturday. So there was four rehearsals, four or five, something ridiculous. Five four, four or five. That, that's it before you got to perform. Yeah. And, oh and in front of like everyone. So it was a concert. <laughs> so I thought the other two guys with much more experience than me would have volunteered to help her. No. <laughs> oh, no. So, so I help her. And so I'm looking at the part and I'm like, there's no way I'm going to this in like a week, in less than a week. <laughs> so I asked Santi, I was like, Santi, can I have a lesson? And so we're going over it and he's like, Amy. You're doing really well. There's no way you're going to this in a week. I'm like, I know. <laughs> He's like, do you want me to play with you guys? I was like, uh, yeah. <laughs> wow. Please do, because then I can just play my part that I already learned, and I want to be checked out. So all of these people I've been talking to you about, like, mm-hmm. they they're all from, like, the same neighborhood. They're all friends. They all know each other. This is, like, everyone knows each other. Mm-hmm. They all play together. So he's, like... So, like, for example, Ramiro Borero, who I just met, he mm-hmm. was one of the Bandanian teachers at Tango for Musicos, and so Santi was teaching. So they're all very involved, able to work with him. So he's like, cool, I'll, mm-hmm. I'm going to help the orchestra, because the teachers will do that. They'll go help the different orchestras. And so everything somehow magically worked out. <laughs> like, <laughs> we somehow get it all together. And then we go, this was literally two years ago, because I'm seeing on my Facebook feed the pictures from this concert. Mm-hmm. So the venue is sold out. Wow. This huge concert hall. I walk out on stage. I get to play with this huge orchestra with this amazing music with my teacher mm-hmm. to open for the DMC contest. Wow. And I was, I was just sitting on that stage looking at, like, I would have never, ever imagined that <laughs> I would be on that stage like that with this <laughs> instrument. And I, I walked away from that moment being like, and like I'm going to get freaking good at this thing. Nice. Nice. <laughs> and it just lit a fire mm-hmm. wow that's awesome yeah. that's awesome yeah. what i loved about what you said was you know there was one one point you were convinced it was going to be impossible to learn this instrument but clearly you got through it you're playing your, you know yeah i mean that's an understatement yeah. that you got through it so that's got to change your perception or you know your whole outlook on on life and goals in, in some manner i imagine Oh, God, so many ways. Number one, most practical thing, like the most obvious outcome was, so I'm a nurse anesthetist, and um, for the first six years, I worked at Georgetown Hospital. And mm. so we teach nurse anesthetists and they're adult learners. Because, mm-hmm. you know, to become a nurse anesthetist, you have to get your bachelor's of nursing and then work in the ICU for a couple of years, and yeah. then you don't get your master's or doctorate. Mm-hmm. So I worked in the clinical setting, and so you would get a student, they work with you, and you teach them. And it's a very high-stress environment. People are not necessarily nice all the time. Right. Some of these people are, like, significantly older learners. Like, I'm currently 35, but I have students who are, like, in their 40s, 50s. Mm-hmm. That's hard. It's, it's hard to do something like that. Mm-hmm. And having the mentorship that I did, something of someone with that much patient and patience and understanding for someone who is just, like, really just starting from zero. Mm-hmm. started to change my way of teaching too mm. in that of how, after researching how do you teach adult learners what is it that they need what is more effective mm-hmm. so I like to think that over the years my teaching 
adults and you know, see the setting. I, I like to think that I become more patient and more understanding. I mean, you need standards, but you can be very gentle about those standards. Yeah. yeah. So that was number one, and I'm really grateful to that because, like, there, need, there needs to be more kindness. Like, mm-hmm. so I, I, learned, I learned what it means to be generous mm-hmm. through this process. I learned what, like, that was the big, I learned what it means to be generous. When, yeah. especially when you get to such high levels of excellence. I was, not to Santiago, but every person that I've met from Buenos Aires who has just, just achieved like level of excellence on their respective instruments is just this generosity spirit that just surprises me every time. Nice. Even like this weekend with Ramiro Boero, like this guy is like one of the top monuments in the world. And I was like super nervous. Like, I could not sleep. I was so nervous <laughs> for his class. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and just like two hours the most patient, like, teaching and kindness. Mm-hmm. The same thing when I met Pablo Jaurena and Tango Funita this past summer. Our mm-hmm. first lesson was three hours. And we went over one scale, D major scale, for mm-hmm. three hours. For three hours. Because I had tension in my hand. And he was just like, Amy, you're not going to be able to play class because of the tension. He's like, mm-hmm. he's like you're not going to figure out how to fix it this week, but by the, I need to give you the tools of how to fix it this mm-hmm. week. And, like, again, just, like, you're talking about some of the best Bombardier players in the world just took their time with someone who just really wanted to learn. Wow. So there's something you said about generosity of spirit at, at levels of excellence. Mm-hmm. The other thing was, and this was the other thing, so through all of these meetings and by happy coincidences, like I went to a tango marriage, for example. This was another pivotal moment. Mm-hmm. So I met Santi. I met another um, young Bandoneon player, Renato Venturini. By weird chance, like the Kennedy Center was looking for Bandoneon, and Brett told him about me. Mm-hmm. And they asked to borrow my Bandoneon because, like, this guy's button fell off. Oh, no. <laughs> so, like, a few months after I got my Bandoneon, the Kennedy Center calls me. And they're like, hey, can, you, can we use your instrument? I'm like, yeah. Can I have a free co- ticket to the concert? They're like, yeah. I'm nice. Like, so I meet this 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 guy, and not so very young, and I think at this time he's only twenty two, really quiet and shy, and like just mm-hmm. really really good about the And I was like, wow, like it's amazing. Mm-hmm. I still didn't know the story of what had happened in Buenos Aires. So I met Renato, I had met Santi, and then like four months after I started this whole video process with Santiago, mm-hmm. Julia Shipskovas has a tango element in the United States, and wow. she had it in Baltimore, mm-hmm. and she invited Solo Tango to play. Oh, nice. Yes. And so then that Friday, they, they're going to play Friday and Sunday. Mm-hmm. And so they had an invited guest artist from Argentina, a bandoneon player. So I go Friday night, and I'm like, I listen to them. I'm like, man, that bandoneon player is so freaking good. And I travel <laughs> with my bandoneon everywhere, like everywhere. I don't go without it because mm-hmm. I need to practice. So I had my bandoneon. So I'm like, oh, I'm going to ask him for a lesson. So I go up to him. I'm like, hi. He doesn't, he doesn't speak much English. I'm like, hi, I'm Amy. Mm-hmm. I speak Spanish for Yeah. Like, I was like, I'm a Pan player. Is there any way that I could get a lesson? And he was just surprised that in freaking Baltimore, there's some random woman. <laughs> <laughs> With her bandoneon. Right. And, and he's like, what? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, who do you study with? I'm like, oh, well, I've been working on this method of book with Santiago. He's like, Santi? Oh, he's my friend. Oh, I'm nice. Like, yeah. And he's like, you know his little method book? I'm like, yeah. He's like, I contributed to it. I'm like, and then I recognized the name because it was in my little book. And I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, you're, not, you're that knocked out of Greco. And he's like, yeah. <laughs> 
And I'm like, can I do the last time? He's like, sure. And then I see he seems a little hesitant. I'm like, you don't have to even want to. He's like, no. He's like, it's not that I don't want to. He's like, I just never teach. I don't know how. Oh wow. And I was, and I was like, well, I have really specific questions. I'm like, there's nobody here. Like, I really would appreciate it. He's like, okay, we can do it on on Sunday. I'm like, mm-hmm. cool. So we had we set a, a lesson on Sunday, and then Saturday, he he's just hanging out. He doesn't really know anyone. We end up talking to like. Saturday in the morning about like what it's like in Buenos Aires and I really started discovering like this, this instrument of like and then his dad was in the 70s had to become a psychologist even though he was a volunteer player but like it was a mm-hmm. source of embarrassment to play the instrument at that time like oh, no wow. one was in tango like no one cared mm-hmm. and so when his generation came along it's just like this resurgence wow anyways we have a lesson as usual super mm-hmm. nice super patient super positive mm-hmm. I go home I google him I'm glad I Googled him afterwards because <laughs> I literally met one of the best Bandoneon players in the world. In the world. Like, that's awesome. Like, that's not me saying that. That's other Bandoneon players sit talking about Lautaro Greco. Right. It's, yeah. <laughs> that's Lautaro Greco. Everyone was like, so I, if I had known who he was, I would have never asked him. <laughs> 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 I was like, so, it's like, oh, man. I was just like, holy moly. But mm-hmm. it, it got my brain thinking. That's so weird. In the last year and a half, I have met three of the leading young Bandoneon players. I mean, there's so many very good players, but, you mm-hmm. know, they're the same generation. They're from the same city. They're all friends. They all nice. know each other. What are the odds of that? Mm-hmm. And I mentioned it to Santi, and he was like, yeah, like, there's, and that's when I started discovering the story of what happened in the 1990s with these these people in the Orquesta Escuelas and what came out of that was people like Santi and Altario and Marco Antonio Fernandez. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't the first person to think of this. So this Bandoneon player, he's my age, he's 35. Mm-hmm. Alejandro Grisberg, he's like, wow, he's like, there's like at least 10 guys in their 20s who are these bad ass players. Yeah. What are the odds? Mm-hmm. So he, he writes a grant and gets funding from the government to to record this album called Los Que Vendrán, Those mm-hmm. Who Will Come. And it's just like 10 um, tracks of like Bandoneon solos or a quartet, and they ask some of the old masters to play with the young people. Mm-hmm. And it's just to show what really happened. And I'm like, man, this is a good story. Mm-hmm. And I had heard about ethnomusicology when, uh, 13 years ago when I was getting my degree in music, that, you know, I was going to be in healthcare. I was mm-hmm. like, oh, that would be so cool to do something like that, but that'll mm-hmm. never happen. <laughs> but I was just like, man, this is a good story. Like, this is a good research project for ethnomusicology. And Morgan Luker, who helped organize yep. um, Tango for Musicians, mm-hmm. and re- he's an ethnomusicologist, and we right. were friends. Mm-hmm. So when I saw him that song summer, I was like, hey, man, I have a really good story. What do you think? He's like, Amy, you should apply. And then Max, nice. he's like, he heard my what I was saying. He's like, oh, you should know Michael O'Brien, another ethnomusicologist mm-hmm. in North Carolina. Yep. And so Michael O'Brien calls me, and then we talk, and then he's like, you should apply. And so I had six months to get my application ready. And I had to do a writing sample. Oh. And I hadn't done a writing sample on music. It had to be on music in a decade. So I couldn't mm-hmm. do that. I had to write a whole thing. So, like, I'm so stressed out. So, yeah. I'm writing this whole thing. And so, I decided to write about, like, the story of learning the Bandoneon and the method books. And mm-hmm. so, I got accepted into University of Maryland's master's as a musicologist. Yeah. So, that, so, yeah. So, that changed my life. Nice. Completely. 
So okay. I finished all my coursework. I had to take my comp on yep. Thursday. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and then I have to write my thesis, and then I'll be done. Then you'll be done. That's awesome. What a journey. Yeah. yeah, I had Morgan on the show a little more than a year ago. He was a lot of fun to talk to. So. Oh, they probably told you a lot of this stuff. He knows all these people. Oh yeah, yeah. He he was a he was a fun guy to have a conversation with. So, oh, that's cool. He's a, he's an amazing scholar, and yeah. what he's done in for Tango scholarship in the United States is mm-hmm. incredibly amazing. And there's actually very few who mm-hmm. have done that. Yeah. Okay, Haney. Thank you so much. It's been a lot of fun. So, where do we find oh. out more about you online? Oh, me. Okay. Okay. You can look for my name. I, I have a very bizarre name, so okay. it's easy to find. Mm-hmm. It's H-E-Y-N-I, mm-hmm. my first name. Mm-hmm. My last name is S-O-L-E-R-A. Mm-hmm. People can follow me on Instagram. Okay. They, may, they can find me, uh, my name, you can look me up, H-E-Y-N-I-S-O-L-E-R-A, or my hashtag is H-E-Y-N-I. Bando, B-A-N-D-O. Okay. All right. We'll, ha- um, we'll have that in the show want, notes yeah. so people will be able to look you up. Yeah. Yes. And, like, please, I love having people contact me and messaging me about this stuff. If people want um, recommendations from musicians, they should look up and people that you can listen to. I have, like, a gajillion albums. Awesome. That I can recommend. Okay. Okay. Well, Haney, thank you so much. I know you're in the midst of a very exciting time in your life. Best of luck to you on that um, big Thanks audition. Thank for me to get into the Orquesta Escuela. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be great. That's going to be great. Oh, yeah, man. we're all rooting for you. Yeah. All right, thank Haney. You. So, thank Th- you so much, Joe. Yeah, it's thank fun. you. It's great to, great to hear from you. Uh, thank you again for taking the time and hope to hear you play in live sometime. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Take care. Have a good night. Okay. I really like that Haney's so passionate about promoting contemporary tango music. I'm definitely one of those people who is a little more focused or too focused on danceable tangos and golden age recordings. And those types of tangos are definitely great, but they only represent a small percentage of tango music. As Haney pointed out, and I'm sure many of you listening are already aware of this, There's a whole world of tango music out there to explore, and all of those songs, whether they're intended for dancing or more for listening, are a huge part of tango culture. Haney specifically mentioned Diego Schissi, S-C-H-I-S-S-I. In case you're not familiar with him, I posted a YouTube link to his music in the description. Definitely check it out. As a dancer, I really liked what Haney said about understanding musicality, that one effective way to get it into our system is to stop moving, to listen and let it soak into your system. It was also interesting to hear about Haney's journey as a bandoneon player. She picked up the instrument out of curiosity, having acquired her first bandoneon thanks to eBay, And little did she know that she'd be training with and performing with some of the top tango musicians in the world, people like Santiago Segret. And I really admire how Haney wasn't afraid to ask for help and how it's great how these highly respected tango musicians turned out to be so incredibly generous and kind. And there were times when Haney thought it would be impossible to learn, let alone master the bandoneon, but evidently it was not in the end. You probably picked up on this too, but one big takeaway from our conversation is that we should be careful with how we use the word impossible. 
at some point in time, we may feel that something, such as our tango or something else, is impossible. But it's just a feeling. And the feeling that something is impossible often does not match up with the reality of the situation. So thank you again, Haney, for taking the time to share your thoughts. And good luck with your upcoming audition. That's going to be huge. Do keep us posted. And thanks to all you listeners for tuning in. I really can't thank you enough for your support. If you're enjoying the show, please take a quick moment to visit iTunes, SoundCloud, or whichever podcast platform you're using. Subscribe if you haven't already, and please leave a five-star rating and review. That helps a lot. Okay, that's it for today. You've been listening to Joe's Tango Podcast. I'm Joe Yang, and I'll talk to you again soon.